So I suppose my journey starts pretty early on and then it continued for the first trimester um, of just generally feeling lonely and isolated and withdrawn and just... And it's weird that that I felt lonely because technically I I was never alone. I had someone, something, someone who I now know to be Ruben, um, inside me, but it just felt kind of... It felt, it felt sort of wrong. Whatever was happening felt a bit wrong. This month, the Hurt to Healing podcast is marking both Stress Awareness Month and Women's Health Month. Women's Health Month is an awareness event that focuses on the health concerns that women, non-binary and transgender people experience daily, while Stress Awareness Month is a wonderful way of highlighting the negative impact that stress has on our mental health. Education and empathy are vital for transforming female mental health and providing people with the support that they deserve. That's why this month, I will be speaking to phenomenal women about a host of topics ranging from addiction, burnout, to prenatal depression, so that women can feel less alone and misunderstood and can be inspired by others who have finally found light in the darkness. The Hurt to Healing podcast is proud to partner with Shout, the UK's first free, confidential, 24-7 tech support service. So if you're struggling to cope and need mental health support, please text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Depression during and after pregnancy afflicts many people, and healthcare practitioners say that the pandemic has only worsened this mental health issue. These kinds of depression can include deep sadness, heightened anxiety, and incessant exhaustion that makes it hard for sufferers to care for their families, let alone themselves. Today, I will be talking to Tish Weinstock, a former beauty editor of Vogue, who wrote a very brave article about her own experience with prenatal depression. In this episode, Tish talks about how hopeless and alone she felt whilst pregnant with her first child, and I ask her all about her own battle with depression and what steps she took towards her own recovery. I sincerely hope that by sharing this conversation, it might help reassure any other expectant or new mothers who are struggling. Tish, you've written quite extensively about your prenatal depression, and I'm going to start with asking you, how that came about for listeners who might not be so familiar with your journey. Um, And then we'll delve maybe deeper and and go back further. I guess it's something that I learned after the fact in terms of prenatal depression. I, we were trying for a baby, um, my boyfriend and I in December, and I remember taking a test and it was negative and being quite disappointed. Then January rolled around and I was decided to do dry January just because I think my body needed it and also I wanted all the help I could get with, with my pregnancy journey. And I remember taking a test before going on this skiing trip and this time it was more about because I wanted to break my dry jan because it was a bit of a party. So I took the test and it was positive and I remember being like, oh God, annoying. Whereas the contrast, the other one was sort of, I I was very disappointed um, for it being negative. Anyway, so I I suppose my sort of journey with prenatal depression starts then because I, I went on that trip and I was with my friends 
and everyone was asking why I couldn't drink and it was I was like oh well I'm doing dry jan but I also realized I can't drink because I'm pregnant and I couldn't really tell anyone because traditionally we're told not to tell for three months because there's a chance uh, of losing your baby. And and if they didn't live, I wouldn't actually necessarily know about it until the three-month scan. So I think I started on that weird note. And then I guess it just sort of progressed. And initially I was like, well, I'm not drinking and I don't feel like partying, so I won't go out. But then somewhere along the line that turned into, well, I don't want to see anyone for coffee either. I just want to stay at home and do nothing. And, and I've had a history of depression and anxiety, and I'm, I'm actually on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, which I have been since I was 18. So I suppose, my yeah, my journey starts pretty early on, and then it continued for the, the, the first trimester um, of just generally feeling lonely and isolated and withdrawn and just... And it's weird that, that I felt lonely because technically I, I was never alone. I had someone, something, someone who I now know to be Reuben, um, inside me. But it just felt kind of, it felt it felt sort of wrong. Whatever was happening felt a bit wrong. Mm. And I think that was exacerbated by the pressure of, or this kind of societal pressure of like pregnant women or pregnant people being really happy and thrilled um, and loving the experience. And I think also there's a pressure that you're not, you know, not everyone can have children. And so there's a certain sort of guilt, I guess. You're like, I should be happy, but I don't really know how I feel about this. And I think that was all sort of like bubbling around in my mind. And then going back, so you mentioned that you had depression from the age of about 18, 17, 18. And what, how did that manifest itself and start? I was in university, I was at Oxford, and I think it was in my second year. And I just lost interest in the joys of living. Nothing felt joyful. When you're in that kind of like student phase, you're surrounded by people that love going out and love like, love the freedom that they finally have um, now at a university away from parents and everything. And I just remember being like, I just can't relate. I don't want to see people and hang out. I just kept my like my head down and my nose in books because that was the only thing that felt kind of easy to do, just read and work. And so I could sort of shut myself away in my room. And I remember finally going to sort of see someone, um, a psychiatrist who prescribed me on antidepressants and someone who did CBT. And I remember I was given the choice by my GP, they were like, we're going to recommend a course of CBT, but you can also go on antidepressants if you want. And I just remember thinking, I definitely want to take antidepressants because I didn't trust myself with CBT that I would be able to lift myself out of whatever I was feeling. I was like, I need some external help. I need something chemical. I remember six weeks into taking them or something, I was doing, I was working one day in the afternoon and suddenly it was kind of quite mad, but suddenly I felt like these clouds had parted. And I think it's very much about joy or like the lack thereof, which is what I sort of come to associate with feeling low and like in a depressive state. It's just, there is, there's nothing that is bringing you joy. Yeah, and the numbness that you describe, I think that's like a really common one with depression. It's almost like you're flatlining, you're just existing rather than kind of living. 
and I think particularly during your student years I definitely found this was that like everyone around you is having this wild happy time and it's just that depressing reality that like here I am in this place and these are allegedly like the most exciting happy years yeah. of my life and yet I just couldn't feel like I felt like a granny. Yeah, um, I think also mine sort of came across like I thought I was too good for everyone because people were like, oh, do you want to come to the pub? I was like, no. And I think it came across as like thinking I was too good for those kind of things. And maybe it felt like I was like, I just don't want to, I didn't know how to participate in that. I was like, I don't know how to drink a snake bite or like a dirty dishwasher or whatever they were called. I mean, I did, there were times where I definitely forced myself out. I don't know if that made me feel better or, or not. I can't remember. I, I probably, probably not. Um, but it was just, I can operate within an arena that I know really well, like the daytime and like um, lessons and like I can say something like a wittier side maybe and like that will save me from anyone being like, are you okay? Because that's also, someone was like, you, if someone ever says like, are you okay? I'd be like, oh God, like please don't ask me that. But when it was in a sort of like looser environment, like the pub, I was just like, I don't know how to navigate this and like, I just want to be left alone. Well, I think it's that idea of like, you just want safety and the parameters of sort of not having this whole night that stretches ahead of you. And I think that's quite an often a sign of depression is that dread of like the nighttime. Yeah. Um, it's just because it's this like abyss, it's this dark, st- at least in the day, you kind of, you can have your structure and you can have your routine. Yeah. And although you can feel incredibly lonely while being around people, you still are physically around people. Whereas nighttime is this sort of, mysterious kind of yeah, dark it's I mean. totally the idea of the abyss is is very that really resonates and i think actually with my prenatal depression that was sort of infiltrating the day as well it would happen on weekends i remember just would i would sit in our flat i would just it would be really quiet and still and my boyfriend was away for he's a stylist so he was away for like menswear shows and I was just alone and I didn't want to be with anyone else but I also like found it really hard to be alone as well and I didn't have anything to do and one of the main things was that I lost my appetite during the first trimester and like it wasn't like oh I don't feel hungry today I literally was not hungry and I've never experienced that before I ordered my day around mealtimes um, and it's it's very it's, it's about socializing you go and meet people for a coffee you go and meet people for lunch or all of this sort of stuff and I was just like I don't want any of that so I don't know what to do I don't know how to sort of organize my day so I would just stare into like nothingness and just be like and I just didn't want to deal with anyone else and I didn't I couldn't like put myself in someone else's shoes being like oh they might want to see you because they want to see you I was just like oh why do they want to intrude mm-hmm. intrude on what like that I was literally sitting at home doing nothing yeah and I think it's that sort of people who even like they give you advice of like oh well maybe you should try this and maybe you should try that maybe you should try and structure your day in this way and you're just like trying to explain to someone that actually I just can't function I just like I I dread the emptiness and yet like if people come in I also dread that I dread making plans I dread anything that I used to enjoy it just everything becomes so onerous and it feels like you're trudging through like mud every time you kind of go out to do anything or totally and it's almost more depressing trying to do all these things which should bring me joy and like none of them do so I might as well just like literally sit in a kind of depressed heap and do nothing I think it's also weird it's like it's there was no sadness that's nothing to do with what I felt when I was experienced prenatal depression because it was just I had no emotions so I there was no like 
reason to sort of relieve myself of these emotions. I just was totally just like empty and like the dread of anything. You're just, I just felt like completely empty as opposed to full of stuff that I couldn't handle, I couldn't process. Mm. So I thought having your period, which is a hormonal experience and it's something that I, I, I just thought that's what pregnancy would be like, just being really hormonal. Like you see on popular culture, like you see crazy pregnant people. So I was expecting to be a crazy pregnant person because I'm a crazy period person. And I was ready for like sickness. I was ready for like really intense, dramatic things to happen, like eating so much, like having a kind of like rav- ravenous hunger. Like I felt none of that. It was like the opposite. I was like devoid of emotion, devoid of hunger. Uh, rage would have been sort of a relief in a weird way. I think one of the things about depression as well was that you don't want to get out of it. Like, you don't, there's no sort of get up and go. You're like, oh, I must make myself feel better. Like, when you feel sad or something, you want to cheer yourself up. But when you're depressed, you're just like, what's the point? Yeah, you just kind of wallow in it. Yeah, because also because it's safe. It's mm. It's like, you know, at least you know what it is. You know the kind of like delineations and the parameters yeah you're like I know how to sort of be in this because I am in this but I think trying like the energy of trying to like take a walk outside or something I would rather stick pins in my eyes than go outside for a walk when I was in the thick of my depression Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast Brown Advisory a global investment management firm is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. Tish, what was the sort of help that you were offered with the GP? Because presumably you went and sought help when you realised... Yeah, I had a psychiatrist who's been with me throughout. I speak to every, like, six months or something, every four months. Like, it was definitely not day-to-day, but it was sort of... She was just, like, looking out, especially being pregnant and being on these things. It was very much like, call me if there's a problem. But I didn't think there was a problem. Well, there was obviously a problem, but I didn't really think there was a problem. Or I didn't think it could be fixed. Anyway, I remember I was our time for a catch-up, and she was like, how's your mood? I was like, mm, not great. And like, how's your appetite? I was like, not great. Anyway, so she then referred me to a therapist, and we started meeting weekly. But with this, it was just a space for me to talk which was like definitely the right step in the right direction because by talking to someone, you were sort of like engaging in the outside world and it was just checking in with what I was feeling and like, and I think being able to recognise what I was feeling, some, I felt understood and it felt like someone was holding my hand through this process. But with that, it wasn't a friend or, or my partner. It was sort of like an extension of me in a way. I didn't feel so sort of alone in my journey. And for women who are, you know, who have suffered from depression and that and they have a history of anxiety, what are the recommendations? Because I mean, I know it's a risk being on SSRIs while you're pregnant because I yeah. think it can affect the fetus. Mm. Yeah. But what were you told? Because I think that's actually recently I read an article that's saying that they're slowly realising that's actually a bit of a yeah. myth and it's not actually that detrimental. I think so. I guess my advice would be is definitely speak to a GP or a psychiatrist if you were on medication because there are some that you can 
go I think you can like come off one and go on another I don't you know yeah. there are you have options you have op- and also you if you kind of wanted to start up therapy again from the get-go that's also an idea or like or or speak to someone who you might not have spoken to but I think it would have been which is why doing things like this is really important and like it's speaking to other people like this I think it's good to like get that conversation going so that when you find yourself in a really sort of let's say low place you realize that other people have gone through it and it gets better and so now that Ruben is out of that sort of tiny baby stage Mm -hmm. how are you managing with the depression now I think now I get a lot of strength from him for a long long time I definitely felt a bit like a ghost in the world and he definitely anchors me when I'm with him I feel like I really do like exist and that's a really sort of nice thing to have and I do I still see my therapist I still check in with a psychiatrist and I think I'm much more yeah aware and I'm able to like talk to people about it and people know sort of what's going on they know what signs to watch out for now I think yeah it's one of those things that's just like it's a work in progress definitely yeah again you have referred to the importance of checking in with your psychiatrist regularly which I definitely know in periods of my worst depression has been something that I've sort of definitely avoided yeah um, for sure which is probably the worst thing that we can do because yeah I think it's very important you sort of think oh they're going to reach out to me like it's their role to sort of check in with me and unfortunately given how busy a lot of them are they don't and therefore you can kind of very easily spiral whilst you're sort of quote-unquote under the care of a psychiatrist yeah so I think that's something that's like a really important takeaway I think also we're really brought up to internalize a lot and like sort of repress our emotions it obviously depends what way people are brought up but generally speaking there is a sort of tendency for people to not engage to be really avoidant and like to not talk about our feelings and to just like do the whole like stiff upper lip mentality the show must go on all of that that's like years of that repression has sort of filtered down and I think we've all sort of internalized it slightly things are changing which is great but like if you're like, oh, like, it'll get better, or, like, I'm not going to worry someone, that's something that I just, I am very much like, I'll just get on with it, or, like, it will go, or I don't want to make a big deal about it, when actually you should. Yeah. Um, And that's something I think you learn with age, and it's definitely, like, asking for help, I think, is something that maybe we're really bad at societally. And it's really easy to give that as advice, like, oh, it's for help, don't be afraid, like, speak to people. Because when I was, like, in the thick of it, that's not what I was doing. And I, and I, it just happened that I was due a sort of check-in, that I was like, oh, like, yeah, I'm not feeling great. Then it, I realised what was happening. But, yeah, do ask for help. <laughs> great. Well, Tish, thank you so much. Thank and you. Um, Yeah, you've been really, really open, and we really appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hurt to Healing podcast. I'd love for you to subscribe to the show or to follow me on our Hurt to Healing Instagram at Hurt to Healing Pod. You might also have a friend or family member that you think might benefit from hearing this conversation. So please spread the word. Mm-hmm.